Hi, welcome to Exec Insider Secrets, made for busy leaders and entrepreneurs. In this podcast, we get to the source and the source of success. Hear from execs who bear all and share their insider secrets, along with my episodes aimed at optimizing your performance, productivity, success, and well-being. My name's Estelle Reed, and I'm an executive coach, trainer, and author at B. Okay, let's begin. So listeners, you are in for a real treat today because I've got here with me Sarah Walker-Smith, who is the CEO of Shakespeare Martineau. She is the only female non-lawyer CEO in the legal top 55 and was recently named as the UK's most influential legal CEO on social media. It's brilliant. I think it's amazing. Um, She also happens to be a trained accountant, having worked for PwC and Deloitte. So commercial know-how is second nature, but Sarah firmly believes and puts people at the source and the core of everything she does, as well as marketing and branding experience she gained during her eight years at Boots PLC. Sarah is a strategic leader, passionate about the potential of people, the possibilities of inclusive organisations and the power of common purpose for the benefit of the business and society. Sarah looks to challenge the norm in the legal sector and wider business world. She's passionate about levelling the playing field, encouraging everyone to bring their authentic selves to work and the power of unlocking potential in a colleagues and clients. And I know this firsthand having experienced you. A self-professed geek, Sarah loves learning and is currently exploring the relationship between leadership, purpose and trust. And I'm sure we'll dig into that as we get talking. I had to look up how long you and I have known each other. I had to get my spreadsheet out and everything. Not your spreadsheet. No. But it was my my accounting spreadsheet, funnily enough. Um, but we've we've worked or I've worked for you for over five years. I can't believe wow. where that time has gone. Um, obviously, that was when you were leading a previous organisation. Um, but you are one of the most inspirational leaders I've had the pleasure of knowing. Um, you're definitely a thought leader, and I can't wait to begin with you and start this interview. So let's begin. I've just realised I'm I'm looking all kind of shiny. I don't know why I'm looking shiny. I've got a a sad lamp, I must admit, because it's really dark in here at the moment. So if I look like an alien, it's because I've got a sad lamp, which is uh, helping me at the moment, but it's making me look a bit weird and shiny. But at least you can see me, which is the main thing. I think you look lovely. Oh, thank you. You're called glowing. (laughs) Glowing, actually. (laughs) So at this at this point in the interview, I normally say to the leaders or entrepreneurs, you know, tell me about your average day. And you have not been having the average day, have you, um, since oh. this pandemic? So come on, tell us. Tell us about you, your role, 
Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. There is no such thing as an average day, apart from, I guess, since the pandemic started, the, the main piece of consistency is me in the shed. So this, this is the shed that you can see me in at the moment. And it's caused a lot of hilarity inside the business because essentially I've been um, working from the shed since lockdown happened. And it was a complete coincidence that I managed to buy, I say a shed, it's a nice little summer house, really. We bought this. It was sitting here doing the thing. I had visions of turning it into a recording studio because I sing as well. And then just just about a month, two months maybe before the pandemic, I got some electricity installed and we cladded it so that it got a bit of insulation. And it must have been some freaky premonition because the shed has now become my home and I've hardly left the shed literally since March. And um, so here I am kind of broadcasting from the shed, but also talking to all my guys, my people and and just running a large business from a shed. Who'd have thought it really? So so the only average thing about my day is I spend probably 12 hours a day in this shed. But um, but other than that, um, there is no average day. I could be spending my time on lots of one-to-ones. I could be spending my time on lots of external webinars, talking to people outside the business, running workshops or getting involved in uh, doing stuff inside the business, board meetings. I mean, it, there's no such thing. that The days are very long at the moment. They're yes. eating into the weekends, but that's because we've got so much going on with our our strategic review. So, so it, it kind of just feels to me like we're, um, yeah, we're we're plowing ahead. And I think that's probably the other thing I would say is we've we've made a very conscious decision that we want to push ahead and run into the storm, not sit down and batten down the hatches. So, so that's making it a lot of variety, and it's hard work, but it's positive hard work. And I think. Um, Myself and my my main board members were reflecting on this this morning. It feels like we're into positive craziness as opposed to the really difficult stuff that was going on at the beginning, I think. What a brilliant reframe. And I think that's why you are as successful as you are, because you come up with these amazing phrases, you know. And you know, I must admit, I spoke about battening down the hatches. You know, I'm just getting my head down and I'm plowing on. Um but in my mind, that was, you know, just moving on, progressing. But yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, we, we're so wired. I mean, I work with some amazing like minded people and we're, we're all of us wired to find opportunities. So we coined a phrase about a year ago, positive, passionate people in the business. And um, and it just feel like that. So we, we are wired to find the positivity in, in things that are difficult. And let's face it, the last well, pretty much 2020 has, has been amazingly difficult, but we genuinely see it as an opportunity. And we're not trying to take away from anybody how difficult the year has been. I mean, it's horribly difficult. And we've still got to be very mindful that some people are having really, really quite shocking personal experiences going on. But we're just determined to make something positive come out of something so negative. So that's I think that's a really strong underpinning theme. Certainly, it's my my philosophy. But thank goodness I work around lots of people who share that philosophy as well. Yeah, no, yeah, that is fabulous. You're making my hair stand on end. So, you know, as you think about your career, mm. what what for you has been something that you feel really proud of, an achievement, a career result? What springs to mind? <laughs> so you're about to get another insight about me now. I struggle with that question because I keep thinking I haven't finished yet. So, so for me, I... I will never get complacent and I'll never I'll never sit here and go oh yeah I've I've nailed it because the minute I um 
I feel like at the moment in particular, it's like walking a tightrope because we're trying to push on with so much. The problem with me is I'll probably never get to the other side of the tightrope because I will find another tightrope or I'll just extend the goal. So so I really struggle to talk about achievements because I haven't finished yet and I, I feel that there's so much more to do. However, trying to push myself. Let's talk about some milestones. So um, I feel immensely proud of the business that I used to work with and what we were able to do there, um, taking that from being about 18 to about 80 million in the time I was there. And I know it continues to grow and prosper. So I feel really proud of that. I feel really proud of of the business I'm in at the moment and how we've responded to what's going on. I guess on a personal level, I feel, I feel, I, I hesitate before I say this, but I feel it was an achievement getting the job in the first place. But of course, for me, the minute I get the job, my brain goes to, no, I've now got to make a success of it. So I would never sit here and go, look at me, I'm great, I, I got a job. But but actually getting the job, my current job, was a bit of a watershed, really, because as we said, I'm the first woman non-lawyer doing this. And I think I'm virtually the only non-lawyer in the top 50 or so running a law firm. I, there'll probably be a couple of others out there and it does change from time to time, but I'm in a tiny handful of people doing this. So, so I guess getting it was an achievement, but I don't see it like that. For me, I've got to succeed and deliver before I'll see that as an achievement. So, um, so there's those things. And on a personal level, I, I wrote and directed and produced a musical. Um, it's about four years ago now. And um, I struggled at the time to see that as an achievement. I really struggled with it. But now that I've put a bit of a space, I can I can look back on that and think, yeah, OK, we achieved something there. Um, that was quite special as well. What, what caused you to struggle to not perceive it as achievement? Because I remember hearing about this, you know, in the organisation. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, no lead an organization write and produce a musical mm. and also I mean I'd I'd I, I don't read and write music so I'd wanted to write a musical for years and years and years and I kept seeing barriers and in the end I flipped my mindset to say no I'm, I'm going to find a solution to those barriers and push myself through it but I suppose you're getting right in that I knew you would um the the problem that I've got is that it wasn't perfect. So, of course, I, I maybe as leaders, we all suffer from this perfection complex. But there were things in hindsight I would have done differently. I would have rewritten bits of it. I would have changed scenes. When I consider it from a base of me not reading and writing music, it was a phenomenal achievement. But if I consider it from the base of what somebody who's a really great composer would have written, it wasn't good enough. So I suppose what I've had to do over that four years is reset my benchmark as to how I was assessing that achievement or not. So like I say, when I consider it bottom up, I now can see it as an achievement. If I look at it top down, it wasn't good enough to be on in the West End, but of course it wouldn't. We, you know, we were doing this in our spare time. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I had a phenomenal team of people, but they could only work with me for a very short period of time for a few weeks before we produced it. So, so I've really had to reset my brain as to what, what realistically success was like. And then that's yeah. allowed me to now see it as an achievement. Took me some time though. But that is, again, that's a really great quote. I had to reset my brain because, you know, all too often we do the comparison thing, don't we? Yeah, yeah. We do the compare, contrast. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I talk about is when I'm working with clients is to talk about staying in our lane. 
And what I mean by that is, you know, really all we're in competition with is ourselves a lot of the time. And and you're right about resetting your brain and, you know, and it it is just us. Um, But no, yeah, absolutely incredible achievement do you do you celebrate to say if I if I flip forwards maybe one day and maybe we need to talk again in a few years time I would love to think for me the achievement is that I've helped change the word of business for for better um and that we it's more acceptable for people like me um to be leading business and that I've opened up the path for lots of other people like me to be successfully leading major businesses that what if I can get to that point and I can look back and see that it's just normal to have female chief execs or normal to yeah. have non-lawyers leading law firms, that that's when I'll, we'll raise a glass of champagne at that point, Estelle. <laughs> okay, deal. Because <laughs> I was going to think of people like you and I thought, yeah, amazing people like you. So, um, so one of the things uh, on this show, one of the things that we do is we get to the source and the source. Yeah. So the source and the source being the inner source. So we talk about values a lot, beliefs. The inner. I mean, one of the reasons I set up this podcast is that I am privileged to hear so many stories from my execs. I, yeah. I get to hear their inner workings and this morning and I was I was running a manager leader as coach program and one of the delegates said because we were talking about what's your biggest takeaway this morning one of them said oh my goodness me I'm like everyone else and that was a real and what what they meant by that is what what's going on inside is pretty much yeah. a lot like everybody else um so yeah so important to get to what's inside but the source being that that people find that really interesting and one of the things that's always impressed me by you is how authentic and honest you are um and I think you will change the face of business in terms of leading it because of that honesty and authenticity so what three things what three values are important to you from a work or business perspective yeah there's there's so so many of these actually um whether these are values or not is a different point but um, I would say inclusion level playing field number one um I feel so strongly I am so privileged I know you'll tell me off for saying that I'm lucky but I am very very lucky to be in the position that I'm at I came from a a very very working class background single parent mum um barmaid um you know it 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 wasn't your well I say your average but what is an average background there are millions of people out there like that at the moment so but it wasn't an obvious background to become a chartered accountant and a chief exec and, and all the rest of it again my family weren't used to going to university and all of those things so so for me anything I can do to help level up that playing field is is a really important value for me because I think there is a huge amount of talent out there um whatever background or ethnicity or faith or any of those things it comes from and I just think the world will be a better place and the world of business will be a better place by having all of that talent involved so leveling up the playing field is is probably number one um my second one I suppose is 
is abundance mentality, for want of a better word. I talk about having and uh, making the cake bigger for everybody to share in it. So I do believe very strongly about businesses collaborating with each other, about us all working together to try and improve things rather than absolutely cutthroat competition, fighting to get a bigger slice of the cake. I, I genuinely think we can make the cake bigger. So, so that's another core value, I suppose. And I suppose the third one is... Um, slightly contradicts the second one because I am uber competitive as well. So, but what I mean by that is collective competition. So I do think we should challenge norms. We should strive to be better. We should constantly learn. Um, we should get rid of the outdated rules that don't serve us anymore and, and be constantly willing to challenge, challenge things if, if they're not right. Um, so I suppose there's, there's this abundance mentality. There's the, there's this, uh, ability to want to see the world differently and to challenge things and there's this level playing field i could go on there's lots of other things i care about but those are probably the three main things that that i care about yeah absolutely fascinating you see my next question was going to be about what childhood experiences have influenced these things that were important but you're ahead of the game and you know just hearing about your mom single parents being a barmaid um, you know, I can totally relate to that. My mum had three cleaning jobs at one stage. But, you know, yay for uh, these mums that have got a strong work ethic that yeah. leads their girls and, you know, um, you know, and and yay for you to break through and go, well, just because nobody's been to university in my family, it doesn't mean to say I can't either. So you'd obviously got that. Yes, I never saw it. I never saw it like that. So I um so for example, I I, I never had this master plan. If you'd have asked my teenage self what I was gonna do, it's quite clear I was gonna be an actress and I was gonna end up writing and um directing musical theatre as well. So I cared passionately about theatre, less so about TV, film and that kind of stuff. So there was never a master plan to end up doing what I'm doing. And I'd say that's probably the other thing. If I'd have thought too much about that at the word go at that point, I might have had some of those self-limiting beliefs that said, who are you to think you can do that? You don't come from a background like that. But you see, I didn't look at it. It didn't happen like that. It's just been one happy accident at a time. And I suppose I've had an open enough mind to go, yeah, I can have a go at that. I'll try that. Oh yeah, why yeah. not? So I've I've kind yeah. of had the why not mentality. But if I'd have sat there thirty years ago mapping this out, I I would have probably freaked myself out completely and and panicked. So so I think that's probably been the other thing is I've not mapped that out too far ahead. I've just gone with the next opportunity and pushed myself actually, and say well yeah. why not try it? And um, and I think that would be my advice to anybody is to don't scare yourself by mapping it out too far. Just take one step at a time and see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, like when I work with businesses and we look at vision and all that sort of thing, and often it can seem so scary, can't it, when we're traveling to yeah. a far away destination. But say so what matters is the first step and then the next step and then the next step after that, you know, and is made up of lots of little steps. But where did your why not mentality come from? When when did that start? <laughs> I don't know, but I've mentioned this this to you previously. I remember writing a poem when I was very young, less than 10, and the poem was called Don't. And essentially it was don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. And I knew from a very early age that with my stepdad at the time, um, 
who was in my life for a few years was constantly telling me what I couldn't do. And I, I don't know where it was wired into me, but my, I thought back about, no, I can. So every time somebody told me I couldn't, I, my, my brain said, no, but I can. So don't tell me don't because I'll fight it. So, so I have no idea where that came from. Genuinely, I, I can't pinpoint it, but all I know is that from quite a young age, I would, I would fight back if somebody told me I couldn't do something. Probably looking back now as a parent, the utter child from hell, <laughs> because I wouldn't be told what to do. I wanted to be in control of my own yeah. destiny. Um, yeah. But actually, the more somebody tried to tell me I couldn't do something or restrict me, I remember uh, GCSE French, um, the teacher, uh, very traditional, very old fashioned chap, uh, basically told me a few months before the exam, you're never going to pass. So I went and got an A because he told me that I wasn't going to pass. So there's honestly been something wired in me that the minute somebody tells me I can't do something, Thing, I will just go into the can-do mentality. I, I don't know where it came from, Estelle. I, I have no idea, if I'm honest with you. Again, one of my phrases is that positivity or good things can actually come from adversity. I call him Mr. Biology Teacher, but he said a similar thing to me. He said, well, I won't tell you actually what he said. I, it, was, it is really um, impolite. It was something that you could get away with in the in the 80s but it had to do with the way I looked and um and he said and you'll never amount to anything in this world um and that was my first silent well well I won't say it anyway I'd be polite but you know you can imagine this point about adversity, I feel so blessed with my adversity, so to speak. Now I haven't had horrendous adversity. I won't I won't bore you with all the detail but I did have an unusual maybe unusual childhood but you know and there were there were definitely some obstacles and things that made my childhood quite tricky but but I see that as a blessing because actually when I look at the crisis we're in now it's people like you or I or other people that have had difficult things happen in our past we are so well equipped to deal with this I watch some of the politicians without casting too many aspersions here who've probably had much more sheltered lives had a very straightforward come from very affluent families running around like headless chickens because quite frankly and and they look like they're about to fall over some of them (laughs) because they've not had to deal with adversity and I I think I think the adversity that I see me, but but much more, you know, when you look at people who had real adversity, you know, uh, some of the, the stories you hear from immigrants coming into the country and various other things, you know, proper persecution, proper being afraid for their lives. I, I think if you can channel that into something positive, I think it, it sets us up so much better equipped. So when people have talked to me about social mobility or being a woman as being uh, a problem or indeed um, holding us back or a disadvantage that we've got to overcome, I I fight back and say, I feel totally blessed because I, I just think I'm so much better equipped to deal with all the forgive me but shit that comes our way because we know how to deal with it so so I think in crisis at the moment at the moment it's no surprise to me that if you look around the world some of the people who appear to be doing the best dealing with the very very difficult situations that are running around the world at the moment are people that have had adversity or discrimination to deal with or something like that so yeah no absolutely and you know, again, when I talk to uh, either clients or training delegates about how personalities formed and these sometimes which can be perceived as minor 
um, to the adult, but yeah. look, but in uh, the child in that moment was a significant moment, and it can make parents almost paranoid about oh my goodness you know we can really affect our children Uh, just by some of these events and then I'm like yeah and I said but on the flip side one of the challenges we've got with the generation with my children so so my child is that we could be accused of being helicopter parents and smoothing the way for them so that they don't experience that that um adversity so it's it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? You know, it is. Of- I, I do worry about that. You know, I look at my children now, they are so, so privileged in the traditional sense of the word. I, I do worry yeah. they're not getting the same benefits that I got out of the difficulties I had. You know, silly things like I didn't go abroad until I was in my 20s on holiday. My children have been all over the world, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, I we didn't have a car, so I was used to walking everywhere. Um, my children, we drive them around like taxi service. And, you know, from a very young age, I was cooking food and looking after my little sister, whereas my children haven't had to do any of that. So so I'm not saying that I want to deliberately make their lives harder. Obviously, you wouldn't you wouldn't do that. <laughs> but but I do worry sometimes about how to help them in the future by perhaps not making things quite so straightforward for them. But you know, what are we to do? We're not going to make life difficult for our own children, but we do, we do need to find different ways of helping expose them to, to the full range of what's going on in the world, I think. And then the help, you and I have spoken about resilience before, haven't we? But it builds that resilience, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So one, again, one of the things I talk about is that values and beliefs are inextricably linked. So as to what comes first, uh, that's a bit of a debate, but, you know, for example, so I've, I've, again, I've spoken before about, and you will very, you know, you were very kind and have endorsed my book and will have read in there that I spoke about being on thick table. Um, And, uh, <laughs> and so what that grew out of that was um, a value of achievement. So that I, I, you know, worked towards achievement as a way to get away from a lack of achievement, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's the value. And then round that, we have supporting beliefs that keep that value in place. Yeah. So. Yeah. For example, it would have been, well, I am not as clever as other people. So that would keep achievement in place. But then what we can do sometimes with, um, so my belief is that people can get stressed sometimes when they overdo a value. Yeah. So when values aren't in balance um, or they're not being met equally, we can feel stress. So, for example, if you weren't getting your value of inclusion met, that would create some uncomfortable feelings. And um, so we've always got this challenge of trying to keep them in balance. But also when we do um, havening work around those beliefs, which are also connected to events, then we can change the priority of our values as well, which is quite fascinating. So is achievement important to me? Yes, it is. But having done the havening work, it's a lower priority, if that makes sense, because I've taken out some of those limiting beliefs. So 
when you so what limiting belief have you overcome in your career because you know to me you just sound like you power through everything oh no I don't no I absolutely don't and you know I'm so normal it's untrue I have the same hang-ups probably more hang-ups than everybody else does just listening to you speak what I probably should have said and I have no idea whether these are beliefs or values or principles or whatever they are but there are two words that probably underpin those other things I said to you one is fairness and one is freedom and I think when you look at the things I talked there about abundance mentality and inclusion and uh, ambition and competition and all the rest of it I think the fairness and the freedom can come through as well and and that comes back to the don't you know the can't the can-do mentality that comes from the freedom and the inclusion and the level playing field comes from the fairness. So, so I would say my overdone strengths, um, I'll come back to the self-limiting beliefs, but my overdone strengths, if I feel something isn't fair, yes. I can get very passionate. And what happens is I'm, I'm somebody who'll run into a fight, not away from a fight. Yes. So what I have to do is protect myself about not fighting every single fight because sometimes you just feel that you're banging your head against a brick wall and you wear yourself out. So I've had to teach myself, even though those underpinning things like freedom and fairness, I will fight to the death for those things. Yeah. I don't actually want to do that because what I need to do is win the, bat- uh, the the war, not the battles. So so one thing I've had to do to overcome, I know it's not really a self-limiting belief, but what I've had to do is, is try and pace myself a bit better and try not to go after every fight for fairness and every fight for freedom. So I, I don't know how that fits into your diagram but but that's one big thing that I've learned because I will wear myself out and I've had periods in my life where I've had burnout like many other people have as well I've just got exhausted so pace and and trying not to fight every fight I think big lesson me the other self-limiting belief I have to I had to get over and I'm over it now mostly is is that I'm not worthy or that I'm not entitled for things so and I definitely have this hang-up that the minute things start going right I instantly think they're going to go wrong yes so um so I have to watch out for that as well because what it does is it stops me celebrating success and you heard me say it at the top of this call you know I'm really reluctant to talk about achievement um Because the minute I do that, I fear something will go wrong. So, you know, I can really beat myself up about that one. And the other thing is I carry responsibility for everything and I feel guilty for everything. So I absolutely will take on board everybody else's guilt, let alone my own guilt. So so I go around collecting things that I feel guilty for. So, so, you know, I have a huge amount of hang ups, but but I suppose what I've what I've done and with the help of, I guess, partly age, partly the ability to have hindsight and, and then through help from people like you, Estelle, as well, is to is to find a way of, of almost bringing up a force field that protects me from some of those things. So somebody years ago said to me, close the door on that episode and leave some post-it notes on there about what you've learned. So I, I now try and flip into reflecting, learning. I journal a lot. I try and I try and really make sure I'm taking the learnings out of a situation. And that helps me create this force field, which stops me going back into some of those self-limiting beliefs as well. Yeah. Yeah, your book, no, what, by the way, I wasn't being kind about your book. It's fantastic. And um, what I love about your your book, um, and I can't wait to see a printed version of it. Obviously, I was I was lucky enough to to read a manuscript. But what I loved about it was it was it was so broad in terms of all the different things it could help people with. It's going it, to it really does. Um, 
it, there's something in there for everybody, literally. And there were things in there that have really made me stop and think, even now when I've read so much and I've tried to learn so much, there was new stuff in there, which was brilliant. And then you flip it into the practical tips and the things that you can do about it as well. So, so I've, I've probably read a huge amount over the years, which has also helped me learn and then put that force field up to help control some of the self-limiting beliefs. And your book, even though I've read zillions of things, your book really, really helped me as well. Ah, oh, thank you. No, uh, well, I appreciate that. That's kind. Have you read, interestingly, because you keep using the phrase, flip it. Have you read that book? No, you found a new one for me now. <laughs> Brilliant. I, no, because I haven't read it yet. But the guy... No, that sounds good. Uh, the, the guy who's written it, um, Michael Heppel, I'm a big fan of his. And his first book, How to Be Brilliant, inspired my business. So, but I know about Flip It as well. And I was thinking, oh, I don't need, I mean, I've got a big stack of books over there in that corner. No, I mean, so I'm thinking, I don't want to just add another one. But because you were using the term, I thought, oh, I wonder if you've, but no, you just I actually have it. But that sounds good. But I, what I have believed for years and years, somebody once drew me the little diagram, um, belief, action, result. If you imagine a virtuous circle with arrows, belief, action, result. That one yeah. has stuck with me for years and years and years, which is if you can sort that belief out, you'll sort your actions out, which will which will enhance the result and reaffirm the beliefs. So from that, I've always taken this view that you can choose your mindset, whatever it yes. is. And, and I think that's probably the primary thing that's helped me along the way. The other thing I should say, I'm like you, but top tip. So, so my husband literally says, you're not buying another book, are you? put them on a Kindle. He can't see them anymore. So whilst I have got a pile of books around, he's no idea how many books are on the Kindle. And I'm saying he won't watch this. So we're okay. <laughs> Your secret safe with me. Yes. <laughs> you, you see, I, I, again, you know, listening to you and I thought it's so obvious why you're a success because you lead with bravery and courage, you know, even they call, I think it's called the, cyber, the cybernetic cycle or something like that, because I know what you're referring to. Right. And, you, and you can interrupt it at any stage. So you can, you know, force, force change and go out and, and, change and do something differently, which is the behaviour piece, which yeah. then can reinforce your belief yeah. about yourself as well. But yeah. the point is you're brave and you keep powering on through, don't you? It's funny, we, I was on a, a group, I, I belong um, a couple of different groups where I network with other chief execs and we were on a conversation two or three weeks ago talking about courage and a lot of the other chief execs on the call were, was saying to me, you're obviously really brave, you're a pioneer in your sector, you're doing all of this stuff. We decided I was a pirate in the end, which I felt, I felt quite happy about being a pirate um, or a buccaneer, I think was <laughs> Um, but I just sat there with this kind of quizzical look on my face thinking, I don't feel remotely brave. And I really had to go away and think about this because I just, I don't really think I am brave at all. But but the reason the reason that I, I kind of made sense of this was it's actually to do with doing the right thing and knowing who you are and what your purpose is. And if you know what all of those things are, doing the right thing doesn't feel at all brave. You just think you're doing what 
you should be doing. So, so other people might look at it and say, it's really brave. I just think I'm doing the right thing. And, um, and it comes from a strong sense of duty as well, a strong sense of responsibility. So again, a combination of knowing what your purpose is and having a really clear sense of duty, you, you might do things which seem brave or a bit ballsy or make tough decisions or all of those things. But I don't think I've ever done a single brave thing really, but but I'm sure where if again it's about looking at your benchmark. If if you look at some of the things that we are doing with the business at the moment, they are quite brave. We're changing the sector. We're doing some very very different things in the sector. And you know I've made some tough decisions since I've been in the job, but none of it has ever felt brave to me because it's totally on purpose. And yeah. and not- that was that was how I was able to make sense of that because I recognised that people were giving me examples and saying, but this is really brave and that's really brave, and but it's not. It's just on purpose. And that would be my my main advice to anybody is if you sort that purpose out, the decisions you make in the context yeah. of that are much easier to do, um, much much easier. And 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 also, you never struggle to get out of bed in the morning, do you? When you're in line with purpose, values. No, I mean, what I do because I'm constantly knackered. <laughs> but, but that's where reading your book was really helpful because I know I've got something going on there with inflammation, and I've got to look better at my diet and various other things. But um, no, I'm a night person, so my bigger problem is getting myself to stop reading or stop writing stuff or stop wanting to work and go to sleep. But um, I'm a night I'm a night owl, definitely. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's fascinating. So what would you say, I suppose it's a dual question, what causes stress and how do you how do you resolve it? How do you manage stress personally? What, what do you yeah, do? So I, I, this is a work in progress for me. On the whole, I can be incredibly busy and working very hard and not be stressed. The thing that causes me stress that I'm still resolving is when I feel my integrity is being in- attacked or... You know, or for example, um, I hate it when people uh, challenge things that are not based on the truth or based on fact. Yeah. So that one will get to me. So there are still things like that 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 can actually get to me quite profoundly. But but on the whole, I would say I'm not stressed. One of the things that's frustrated me over the years is I'm quite high energy and I'm very yeah. passionate. So I can be very gregarious and very excitable and very, you know, enthusiastic, I suppose. And the amount of people who said to me, oh, you seem really stressed or calm down. And I've taken a real offense to that because I'm not remotely stressed. I'm energized. <laughs> and I think sometimes we have to be very mindful about the effect that we might be projecting stress, even if you don't feel stressed so I've had to really landmark it now or signpost it for my husband and for various other people to say there's a difference between being busy and being stressed or being excited and being stressed so I will tell you if I feel stressed and I've um I have said that even in the past two or three weeks I have said okay I'm just gonna say I now I'm stressed um so I find that one of the ways of coping with it is is actually admitting it but also being able to separate it from what's stress and what isn't stress and then asking for help which for for many of us as leaders is really difficult to ask for help and mm. um, and we need to be willing to do it and not just from specialists like you but from our teams or from our partners mm. or from our children or our parents or our friends you know we as leaders we very often carry so many other people it is perfectly okay sometimes to say you know what I can't stay at the front of the V I need to come back you know if you think about how geese fly 
the same yeah. lift doesn't stay at the front of the V all the time. So sometimes it's okay to step back, re-energize and come back in again. And, and I think that's one of the hardest things as a leader is to admit to other people that you might need a bit of help or you need to just step back a bit and then you'll kind of come back. So taking me a long time to get that. But um, yeah, I feel better for, for having that ability to be honest with people about that now. But okay. you have to signpost it as well. Mm. And particularly for, for people like me, um, if I don't signpost it, there's a fear that people will think I'm stressed all the time when actually I'm I'm not at all stressed. I'm busy, I'm energised, but it's not stress. Yeah, and, and I think oh, there's so many nuggets of genius in everything that you're saying, you know, really. I'm just like, I'm busy making notes, to be honest. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, no, it's just brilliant. And, and then I thought, there she goes again with the metaphors that just make perfect sense. You know, you summarised in a few words. You you do metaphors a lot, actually. I love your book and I love how, how in your book you managed to get a metaphor and stick to it all the way through. I'm just so full of metaphors. They're flying out all over the place. But your, your sailing and your boat metaphor that, that goes right the way through is really, really handy. It's a lovely idea that you've developed there. I had to stretch it at certain points. How do I make a boat here? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What, you know, to pick up on a point that you said earlier, what do you think it is that makes it hard for leaders to ask for help? Because you're absolutely right. Mm. I think there's some horrible old fashioned stereotypes playing. I mean, I'm I'm a big believer in smashing stereotypes, as you can probably tell. Um, but, you know, there's a, a very old fashioned traditional thing that says, you know, the leader must be in control. The leader must be right. The leader must be seen to know what to do all the time. I'd like to think we are way past that. We should be decades past that. I have to say, as a woman, there's a real advantage as a leader because I think it's easier on the whole massive generalization for women to accept and say that I think little boys and men have been brought up to not admit quotes weakness and by the way I don't think any of this admitting you needing help is not a weakness it's it's definitely a strength but you know we condition ourselves into certain things so we talk about softer skills like listening or like collaborating or like you know, empathizing. These are not soft skills. These are strong skills. We need to flip yeah. back to flip again, flip the whole yeah. thing on its head and say some of these things are great strengths. But I think traditionally the way we've written about leadership, we would imply that some of these things are potentially weaknesses or failure or or not synonymous with leadership. But you may have heard me talk about this before. There's, there was a piece of research in 2013 called the uh, Athena Doctrine, which was looking at leadership skills required for the future. Um, and an enormous amount of those leadership skills that were identified by thousands of people that took part in it were leadership skills that were then deemed to be more feminine than masculine. Yes. And I do think, yes. therefore, as a woman, it's probably it shouldn't be, but it's a bit more acceptable for us to, to do some of that stuff. And I think I think. Equally, though, when a man is, quotes, brave enough to do that, yeah. the power of it is utterly phenomenal. You know, we saw in early lockdown some leaders on, on YouTube or on um, LinkedIn in videos crying because they were emotional about what was going on. The power of that is unbelievably yeah. um well, it's just off the scale, really, whereas it might yeah. be expected that a woman might be tearful or emotional when a man does it. Just just yeah. open up to that power, guys, because the, the power you can control and the the loyalty that you will develop from from opening up, it's, it's yes. there for you to take. Absolutely. And again, that's the thing about being a leader. You lead things in other people, don't you? So to yeah. give permission to all the men. Yeah. 
like that um and i mean i th- this week or the la- over the last month i've been doing lots of um emotional intelligence profiling and one of the interesting things that's come out of that is that there's been an element of persuade and convince that look emotional intelligence is a good thing and yeah, yeah. you know and do the whole quoting statistics you know those that um, have higher emotional intelligence actually are more successful so yeah. You know, sweeping generalization, but the gentlemen like that fact. And then um, the the other interesting thing that's come out as I've been exploring that feedback, particularly again with my gentlemen clients, is they were talking about how challenging they find it when somebody is emotional. And I said, "Well, come on, let's define what emotions are." You know, we we you could argue we've got lots of emotions. I mean, in fact, I've got a wheel behind me with all the emotions that are on there, and that's for my gentleman clients actually, because I'll say, "How do you feel?" and and they will say, "Well, I don't know." I'll say, "Right, well, come on, let's go and look at the wheel and let's pick a word." Brilliant. Um, and um, but actually. You know, I said, if I, why is it that it's okay to show anger in the workforce? You know, it's you know, it's okay to be angry or frustrated about something, but it's not okay to be sad or anxious about something. Or, yeah, um, you know, why is it? Why would we be critical of somebody that was excitable or or anything else? Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's not. But I said, if you think about emotion, it's it's there for a purpose. It's to drive motion. So it's to make us uh, nice. It's not mine. It's not mine. Can't okay. claim it. I heard it. <laughs> no, I heard it. I heard, heard it on a seminar, I think, or in a book. Um, but yeah, no. So if you think about, if you smell a piece of rotten fish, you will experience disgust, and it's designed to move you away from the fish. Yeah. And when I explained emotions in that context kind of went oh right okay yeah so it's okay for me to have emotions then isn't it um so it is it's, i find it fascinating um it is, really but the do. power of using it and and i truly think that through the pandemic we've seen the power of people using their emotions as well to, to shift but that's what people need now i mean i i go on about this a lot but you know our job primarily my job is is purely about people. Of course, it's about numbers, and of course, it's about strategy. But ultimately, it's about people. I mean, particularly for me, we've we've got nine hundred people or so who are our product as well. Um, you know, because I work for a law firm, so you know, I've uh, we sell people. Yes, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, so so. I have to connect with all of those people and I need to meet them where they're at, which is massively important. So emotional intelligence, you can't do it if you can't empathize and if you can't understand people. We also now as leaders need to be relevant for nearly five working generations with very different mindsets, very different needs. Again, I don't want to generalize the entire world into five generations, but you know, actually we've got 7 billion mindsets out there. So, so understanding people, I cannot... I would argue with any chief exec who says that's not their primary part of their job because the way they will get superior performance and better financial return and sustainable profitability is through the power of harnessing people and never more yes. so than now. And, and I feel that so strongly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more. And interestingly, there's another female leader I work with and she says a similar thing. She talks to a team about results through people so in other words 
focus on your people and then the results yeah. will come yeah um, yeah, we've, yeah we've inbuilt that into our strategy basically we've we've recognized that unlocking the potential of our people unlocks another virtuous cycle here unlocks the potential of the clients which unlocks the potential of the numbers which you reinvest back into the people and, and you're just back into that again i stole that years ago when i was a trainee chartered accountant i think they told me that day one on a training course stuck with me forever which is you've got to get that virtuous cycle going um, and yeah. I, I just think given where the world's at and society's at and everything else at the moment and the needs, particularly of the upcoming generations, if you think about everything you read about the research about Gen Z and Gen Alpha, purpose, mastery, all of those things, being part of something they can believe in, uh, being with a team, all of these things have come right up the agenda now. Um, so it's even more important. Ah, it has been absolutely fascinating listening to you. And I to be honest, I've skipped quite a few questions because I've been so enthralled <laughs> with you and just wanted to ask more and more. I'm going to close with one question, and that is, what what would you say is your biggest insider secret that you'd like to share? Just be yourself. I mean, honestly, it takes so much time and energy to try and be somebody else. Put all of that positive energy into just being who you are and stop worrying about what everybody else thinks about you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just just be yourself. That's that's the main thing. And, you know, we're, we're here to enjoy the journey as well as the destination. And if you if you are able to be yourself through that journey, it's going to be much more enjoyable. Absolutely. And, you know, it takes so much more bandwidth, doesn't it, to unmask and not be yourself. Yes. Not as effective. Yeah. yeah. No. Well, I mean, I called my business B because it's about being yourself. Yes. So to conclude, uh, listeners, my this is my experience of you, Sarah Walker-Smith, amazing being you are always candid, authentic, and purpose-driven. You've, I, I think, you know, I've seen on social media, you've been such a guiding light, you know, through not only with your team, but also with other leaders, you know, particularly through this recession, through the pandemic, you know, uh, if you're, I can't recommend enough that you follow Sarah, Sarah on social media and her handle is, I'm looking for my piece of paper. So if you're a Twitter fan, um, her handle is at PG Walker Smith. And um, you'll find her easily on LinkedIn, Sarah Walker Smith. Definitely recommend following her. And you do blogs, you do social media posts. You've got your Shed Life vlog, which I was very uh, honoured to be on. You were there. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and you... you I think you have this rare dual gift because you have all the commercial acumen, but combined with creativity, you know, and it, it's, it, I think it enables you to express unique ideas. And we've heard so many metaphors, which make it easy to understand. And I, I, I can only say this, ladies and gentlemen, because I used to work in the legal industry myself. I think making things easy to understand is a really uncommon strength. And again, I think that's why your organisations are a success. And, you know, I'm going to leave you with two of Sarah's quotes, which, again, are just genius. So let's not make a deeper recession a self-fulfilling prophecy. Couldn't agree more. 
and think of this as piloting a glider rather than riding a roller coaster or worse still driving a steamroller beautiful thank you so much for being on i really appreciate it it's been like having podcasting royalty on today um you are funny <laughs> no honestly that's how it feels it's oh come on yeah you you make such a difference to so many of us so uh yeah thank you for everything you do as well no no it's been a pleasure If any of these topics have piqued your interest and you'd like to optimise your performance, productivity, success or well-being, here's the next steps. You could book a free coaching discovery meeting with me, but please bear in mind I have a limited number of sessions available each month. Perhaps you want to get to know me a bit more. See the link below to book and or connect with me on social media. I am Estelle Reed, executive coach, trainer, and author at B, and this has been Exec Insider Secrets. Thanks for listening.